Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. Let's get into the Word of God. Matthew or Mark chapter 16, all right? And if I were to title this message very simply, I would call it Because of Calvary. Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. Let's uh, look on the screen as I read it. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She uh, went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they didn't believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, he said. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany, accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Verse 19, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being present and active among us today, speaking to us and leading us into new vistas and opportunities and intimacy with you. Lord, honor your word. May my words honor you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen? This Easter I was struck by a statement that Pastor Ryan made. I never thought about it, but he shared these words with us, this thought. This year, allow the Easter story to ask its questions of you. This Easter allow this year allow the Easter story to ask its questions of you. That really got my attention. I had never approached Easter season or the Easter message in that way. And one since that time, one question continues to challenge me. It continues to inspire me, and it continues to cause me to dig deeper in prayer and deeper in the Word. And this is the question that's been on my mind since Ryan shared that with us. Do you fully realize what Calvary has unleashed in your life? Do you fully realize what Calvary has unleashed in your life? The full implications of what it means to be in and with Christ. Because of Calvary, everything has changed for you and I. In Mark chapter 16, it is a time of the the great in-between for Jesus. Forty days after the resurrection, he is with the disciples before he ascends and sends them on to Jerusalem for the birth of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Forty days is a number of scripture for both preparation and testing. Forty days, he is in a glorified body yet still on earth. For 40 days, 
He is giving final instructions to his disciples. We read about those in Acts chapter 1. Luke records them. And he's explaining the kingdom of God to them for 40 days. The great in between. He has died and has been resurrected, but he has not yet ascended nor seated at the right hand of God in all power and authority. The passage tells us that Mary Magdalene reports of the resurrection, but they didn't believe her. Then two other disciples encountered Jesus and report that he is raised from the dead. They didn't believe them. And then Jesus shows up in the room himself, and after rebuking him, he gets right on with it. He re- the Bible says he rebukes them, and then he says, go into all the world. Think about that. He has to deal with their unbelief, but he's not lingering there because they've got a job to do. They've got a commission to fulfill. And so uh, Jesus prompt, promptly commissions them to go into all the world to preach the gospel. And he says, these signs are literally attesting miracles. What is an attesting miracle? When the word of God goes forth in new places and new cultures and new opportunities, the signs, the healings, the miracles, the demonic um, Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Breakthroughs. Casting out of demons. These are attesting miracles because they attest that both messenger and message are from God. And so these attesting miracles we see throughout the book of Acts, power over demons, tongues as a sign, snake bites shaken off, poison, no impact. Been there, done that. That's a whole other story. Healings and miracles. Then suddenly Jesus, the Bible says in Mark 16, ascends into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God in power. From that place of authority, the Bible says he begins to work with his disciples. Think about it. During his earthly ministry, they worked with him. Now that he's in heaven, he's working with them to carry out the same work he was doing. As the Father sent me, he would tell them in John, so send I you to continue what I've been doing until every nation, tribe, and tongue is reached with the gospel. From that place of authority, the disciples are preaching everywhere. They're sharing the gospel and attesting miracles follow as evidence that both messenger and message are from God. Because of Calvary, Jesus Christ buried, resurrected, ascended, and seated with all authority because of Calvary. And today, I would submit to you that you and I are in a time of a great in-between as well. First of all, we're in the in-between of this era of life in the kingdom. (laughs) Because the kingdom is here and yet not yet in its fullness. Christ has invaded earth with his birth, death, and resurrection Because of Calvary, Jesus is the victor. The last words he spoke as he hung on the cross was, it is finished, to telestai in the Greek language, a legal term which means paid in full. I've accomplished it all. There's nothing left to be done. The power of sin is broken, and new life can now come to people, life with God, to telestai, paid in full. And now he holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He is total victor, but... Until his triumphant return, how many of you know there's still skirmishes? Come on. You guys are quiet today. We're still in a battle. Does anybody recognize that? 
We're, we're, we're still in a battle. There are still casualties along the way. We're in a battle, and our commander has called us to be on the offensive in this battle. He said, go. He said, go into all the world. Go into every nation, tribe, and tongue. It reminds me of uh, World War II, D-Day, June 6, 1944, when an incredible invasion was la launched across the British or the English Channel into the beaches of northern France. Just before the pandemic, Becky and I stood among all the crosses on those beaches. Speechless. It was so moving. And D-Day was an invasion like Calvary that assured victory. D-Day both secured and assured victory over the Axis forces. But even though D-Day was the invasion like Calvary that assured victory, there were still skirmishes along the way. There was still territory to take. There was still work to be done. And there were still people to be liberated. And we're in this time of in-between. And we're still on the planet today and not in heaven because there's still work to be done and there's still people to be liberated. The time of a great in-between for you and I also or in the same in between, I would submit to you that Jesus found himself in Mark chapter 16. Because of Calvary, <laughs> we have been buried with him and we have been raised with him. Isn't that right? To newness of life. Isn't that the picture of baptism? Going to celebrate baptism next week? It's a picture of our old life. We've died to that and we've been raised to newness of life in Christ. Like Jesus, Mark 16, buried and raised, but but the Easter message, we can't stop there. Because there's more to it that makes all the difference in the world on how we live our life on this planet while we are on this planet. We've been buried with him. We raised the newness of life with him. Yet we wait to ascend in our days of preparation and battle. Paul would write to the Thessalonians who are a little bit confused about this, and he said, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, 1 Thessalonians 4. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up. What is that? Ascending. Isn't that right? We'll be caught up to be with him, forever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We're in the time of a great in-between and there's battles and there's skirmishes and there's casualties and there's work to be done. But one day Jesus is coming again. Hallelujah. And the work's going to be done. A, night, a day is coming when no man will work. It's going to be over. We've not yet ascended. But, but, but. According to Ephesians 2.6, we are already seated in heavenly places in Christ. Died with him, raised the tuneness of life with him, and seated, past tense, we are already seated in heavenly places in Christ while we live on this earth, waiting for the return of Jesus. That's where we are today. 
Ephesians 2, 6 says, And God raised us up in Christ and seated us, past tense, with him in the heavenly realms. So our citizenship is in heaven today, Paul says. We walk on earth, but we're to operate out of heaven. And that makes all the difference. Because of Calvary, I've died with him. Because of Calvary, I'm buried with him. Because of Calvary, I will be ra- I, I'll be raised with him. And because of Calvary, I am seated with him. My life is in him. My hope is in him. My future is in him. My identity is in him. It's all in Jesus. I know who I am. My identity. <laughs> Because of Jesus, my identity is no longer in where I live. My identity is no longer in what I drive or what I wear. It's so much better than that. My identity is in Christ. Because of Jesus, my identity is not even in my ministry or my giftings or my calling. My my identity is in Christ alone. Because of Jesus, my, my identity, well, Galatians 3 28 says it this way, Paul says about our identity, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there uh, male or female, for you are all one unified in Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying about our identity here in these days of identity politics? Paul is saying because of Calvary, Our identity is no longer in our ethnicity, our social status, nor our gender. Our identity is first and foremost in Jesus and in Jesus alone. My identity is in him. My life is in him. My hope is in him. My future is in him. Because of Calvary, the wall is down. The wall, the dividing wall between ethnicities the dividing wall between male and female, it's all down in Christ between employer and employee. The wall is down and we can walk in unity as sons and daughters of God to carry out our assignment on planet earth. Our identity is in Christ alone. And once we realize who we are in Christ, I want to ask you today, once we realize who we are in Christ, why would we ever want to place our identity in anything or anyone else again? Once we realize who we are in Jesus, it makes no sense to elevate ethnicity or gender or anything else. What I have, what I wear, where I live. Why would we elevate anything above Jesus and place our identity in that anymore? I know who I am. Identity in Christ brings peace of mind. We are secure in his sovereignty over our lives. And it is the end of relational performance. Trying to perform for God or for people to establish our identity. So back to my question based on Ryan's Easter challenge to us. Do I fully realize what Calvary has unleashed in my life? And what are the implications for what Calvary has unleashed in my life? The last time I spoke, I believe, no matter when that was or how long ago, last spring, all right, 
the message title was simply, Take Your Seat. Ephesians chapter 2, we are already seated in heavenly places in Christ. The genesis of that message was a thought in my mind before I even lifted my head off the pillow. When I sensed the Lord saying to me, I want you to start your day in heaven. And I thought, Lord, what does that mean? And I'm lying there and scriptures start coming to me. And Ephesians chapter 1 comes that Jesus has been seated in heavenly places far above all principalities and powers. How many of you say that's a good place to be? Far above all principalities and powers, all right? But you on in Ephesians chapter 2 and Paul says, and you and I have been seated together in Christ. We too are have a seat in heaven far, far above all principalities and powers right now. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, heaven is a place of perfect peace. And heaven is a place of clear perspective. And heaven is a place of unchallenged power and authority. And when the Lord said to me, start your day in heaven... I realized he was saying to me, start your day in my peace and not in your to-do list. Start your day desiring to see things from heaven's perspective because on earth you still see through a glass darkly. And start your day choosing to operate in my authority and my power in the things you face and the things you pray and the things that I've called you to do. Because your strength just ain't going to cut it anymore. Starting your day in heaven, perfect peace, clear perspective, ultimate power and authority. Probably the, uh, my favorite passage in the Old Testament to illustrate this was the Israelites being in battle with the Aramites, the king of Aram in battle, very frustrated because every time he goes to engage the enemy, the Israelites are waiting for him, and he thinks he's got a mole in his cabinet. <laughs> and he says to his top officials, which one of you is telling the king of Israel my plans? No, 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 it's none of us. See, there's this prophet named Elisha, and God downloads information about what you're going to do, and he shares with the king of Israel before you even act. And the king said, where's he at? He's in this sleepy little town called Dothan. So the king of Aram takes his entire army, and he surrounds the house with chariots and soldiers. And, and the Bible says that early one morning, Elisha's servant gets up, walks over to the window, opens the windows and looks out on a new morning and just basically says, oh my Lord. Because everywhere he looks is the Aramean army. And he goes and he shakes and wakes Elisha the prophet. Elisha, Elisha, you got to see this. And Elisha walks over and um, looks out at the same thing the servant had just looked at. And he, he basically says to the servant, don't worry, there's more of us than there is of them. And he's looking at two. What are you talking about? And Elisha, I picture, just goes back and crawls in bed. And Elisha simply prays this, Lord, open my servant's eyes. He goes back over to the window again and he sees what Elisha saw. The chariots and the horsemen of God. 
filling the mountains all around this Aramean army. And he gets all excited. Elisha, Elisha, look who's out there with us. He saw from heaven's perspective. What was the difference between Elisha and the servant? I believe Elisha started his day in heaven. Peace over worry. Heaven's peace. Heaven's perspective, clear. Instead of earth seeing through a glass darkly. And heaven's power and authority. The servant tied to earth, only seeing with the natural. Anxious and fearful. And, and church, since that day, there's been something inside of me. I want to, every day, walk on this earth a little bit more like Elisha and a little bit less like a serpent. We're all on a journey. Because of Calvary, we have moved from slaves to sin to sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. But we have to understand the ramifications of what it means to be in and with Christ, our identity and our authority of, as followers of Jesus. I think of the movie, the book, the movie, um, Man in the Iron Mask. Anybody remember that at all? Alexander Dumas, I think, uh, wrote it. Uh, he wrote Three Musketeers and, and uh, Zorro and, you know, other things. But Man in the Iron Mask was the story of a, um, of a young man who was locked away because of who he was. The kingdom in this book is being ruled by a ruthless tyrant. But there is an heir hidden away in a prison, an iron mask on his face hiding his identity. Shut away, alienated, lied about, he is suddenly liberated, and the mask comes off, and identity is revealed, and authority is restored. But this young man now, as king, must learn to walk in his new identity and to exercise his new authority. The nation depends on it. And it's the same for us. How do I walk in this identity and how do I operate in this authority to see things change in my family, to see things change in my community, to see things change on the job, to see things change in my nation, to see things change among every tribe and tongue on planet Earth? This is our opportunity and this is our calling. And for two years now, this start your day in heaven for the most part has Mark my morning. Sometimes it's a very quick, Lord, I worship you, and I'm taking my seat. Let me begin my day in heaven's peace and walk your peace into every situation today. And Lord, help me to see things from heaven's clear perspective today and make judgments accordingly. And Lord, show me how to extend your authority and power in the situations that I face. 
over two years now, but a nagging revelation. Because as I go through that progression, and that's exactly what it is, and it has been a life changer for me, game changer. As I go through that progression, invariably, I'm asking myself this question. What am I doing with the authority that I have in Christ? What can I do? And if I just spend a little bit more time and get on my knees and go a little bit deeper and pray over situations from Cleveland to the nations, what might happen? What am I doing with the authority that I have in Christ? And I was really bothered by a quote I read a couple of weeks ago, bothered enough that I'm going to pass it on to you so you can share it with me, all right? I, I, I read this quote. If God answered all the prayers I prayed last week, what would be different in the world today? And the authority I have in Christ, if God, if God answered all the prayers I prayed last week, which begs the question, what have I been praying about? If God answered all the prayers I prayed last week, what would be different in the world today? And along with this uh, nagging question, I was getting a little antsy during the pandemic. Anybody else been pretty antsy the last year? Um, because for the last year, no travel, no tribal work in Colombia, no partner engagement in Southeast Asia, except for Zoom meetings, just like all of you doing work. It's been so frustrating that countries are locked down and we can't be in the nations we're called to serve in and bless. No teams to lead into all the world. Then one day during the pandemic, again, I just sensed the Lord say to me in the midst of my frustration, I want you to go into all the world today. And at first I thought, that's funny, Lord. You know I can't get on a flight and go anywhere you've called me to be. But then I realized the Lord was saying, no, I want you to go into all the world today. And I knew what that meant. He was saying, I want you to do it on your knees. You and I could go into all the world every day on our knees. We don't even need a passport. Don't even, leave, don't even need to leave our own home to make a difference in the world every day. One billion Buddhists need our intercession. Missionaries that this church supports need our daily intercession. There's not a place on the planet that we cannot impact every day. Not a nation, not a tribe, not a missionary we can come alongside on our knees Every day, because of Calvary, and as you and I are seated in heavenly place in Christ, we can make a difference every day from our knees. I mean, after all, Jesus is seated in heaven. Isn't that right? What's he been doing there for the last 2,000 years? What does Hebrews 7 tell us? He is ever at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for you and I. 24-7, he is praying from his lofty position 
of power and authority in the heavenly realms. Why is he doing that? Because it is the key to opening doors. It is the key to opening blind eyes. It is the key to opening closed minds. It is the key to reaching lost cultures with the good news of Jesus Christ. There is no substitute for strategic intercession if we're going to be used of God to change the world. It was um, 2005. We had just left the church that we founded and loved in Cleveland. And we took an assignment with Book of Hope, reaching the children and youth of the world by mobilizing teams, building an internship of over 200 young adults, anywhere from three months to three years of their life over the next six years. And uh, the very first team we let out was the summer of 2005 into the Peruvian Andes. Ryan, you were, there were nine teenagers. So you were 17 or 18, I think, when you were part of that team. We were in the Peruvian Andes at the 10,000-foot level, ministering in Quechua villages every day. Book of Hope had created a harmony of the Gospels in multiple global languages and got permissions from governments to visit every school child in their schools, giving them the story of Jesus. How cool is that? We did it all over the world. In fact, I participated in the 1991 in the first distribution of the Book of Hope into the public schools of the Soviet Union when Gorbachev was still in power because we had permission from the Minister of Education to do that in the Soviet Union, but we weren't allowed to do it in our own country. It was simple. In the daytime, we would go into the classrooms. We would do a few drama skits. We would share the story of Jesus. We would pass out the Gospels, that little book of hope to every kid in that in that schoolroom, room by room, school by school, every day. And then at night, we had produced a movie called The God Man, which was a 63-minute animated version of the life of Christ using motion capture technology, the same technology that Tom Hanks used when he put together the movie Polar Express. And it was in multiple languages. So at night, we would go into the village square outdoors uh, based on the school we were in that day. And that night, People would come out, and the little village square would swell with people watching this God-man movie. And it was just a powerful time. And as, as we did this every day and saw the fruit of what God was doing, there was one village that was blocked to us that we wanted to get to, and it was so frustrating. We could see the village on the other side of the lake from the main road, but the road back there was being worked on. And we, we, us and the students, we prayed every day. We interceded, God, make a way for us to get to that village. That lake was used by the Incas uh, in the 1600s, 1500s to baptize Incan priests into the ministry. It was a place of deep witchcraft. And we wanted to get to that village. On the last day we got on the last day of our trip we got the word that we could go in. We have an invitation the road was cleared if we wanted to go in. But that was a big there was a big decision to make because our last day was the day when we designated for students to celebrate together and to shop and to pick up their little trinkets before they went home. We said to the students what do you want to do and I think to a man they said let's do what we've been praying to do all week. Let's do what we've been asking God for all week. He's opened the door. Let's go in. And we did. We went into that school. We distributed the Book of Hope to every school child. We let them know. We were showing a movie that night in the village square. And I wrote in my journal, 
these words, after it was all over, a Quechua village in the Andes at night, a center for witchcraft and spiritual syncretism, a prayer walk by our students before the showing of the film to proclaim Jesus as Lord to prepare the way for gospel ministry. Teen interns connect, to the mass, connect the masses to the moment through friendship and a few skits before the movie is shown. The Godman movie begins under the stars in remote Peru. The crowd grows to over 300 people standing in that square. They're focused and quiet except for spontaneous catch with translation next to me as the movie is being translated from Spanish to Quechua for the non-Spanish speakers. Intercession grows in the hearts of our young team as the film unfolds. Then the crucifixion. Mesmerized kids and a weeping grandma at what they are witnessing. The movie ends. A lady pastor steps forward to give the invitation to receive Jesus as Lord in her native Quechua tongue. Scores and scores are born again. Light triumphs over darkness. All of heaven rejoices. Circles of joy and friendship in the square continue with the villagers into the night. More conversions through those conversations. The bus, as we get on the bus, the bus is totally quiet as we head home. You could hear a pen drop. Total awe at what God had done. Then I begin to hear a little bit of weeping. Tears begin to flow spontaneous rejoicing and thanksgiving as we make our way home on the bus in the darkness. All glory to you, Lord Jesus. A group of teenagers that week began to discover their identity and authority in Jesus. And they simply began to pray and ask God, to open a door. And he did. And a village, a Quechua village in the remote Andes, experienced Christ. My encouragement today, folks, is very simple and straightforward. It's time to ramp up as people of prayer. For what we want to see happen in this world, for what God wants to do in this world, it's time to ramp up as people of prayer. Because of Calvary, we are in Christ, buried, resurrected, and seated in heavenly places and authority. Calvary has unleashed in our lives a powerful new identity and has given us a kingdom authority to impact the entire world. In fact, as I was putting this together this week, I, I really thought of titling this message, Impacting the World for the, from the 44026. For those who don't know, 44026 is the zip code for Chesterland. Changing the world from the 44026. Because it is possible. Let's aspire to walk in that authority. And to kneel in that authority and to engage in the mission every day. I have this thing inside of me. You know, Paul says, the weapons of our warfare, they're powerful. They pull, they pull down strongholds. And something is rising up inside me that says, God, I want to prove my weapons. I want to prove that they're powerful. I want to see them pull down strongholds in Jesus' name. I, again, 
a few months ago, I, at rally, it was the beginning of the year, I, I was going through my morning routine with my head on my pillow, taking my seat in heaven. And suddenly there was just, my mind just went through a whole panorama of Scripture from the call of Abraham to all the great stories of God being glorified among the peoples of the Old Testament to the revelation of Jesus, his work on the cross, his revelation, the missionary movements begun in the New Testament and right down through history and the task remaining today and the opportunities before us. And I just had this whole panorama of the story of God and the work of God. And I just, I just began to weep. It's so like, God, your plan, <coughs> your strategy is perfect. It is perfect. Look what you're doing. Look what you've done. Look what's left to do. And, and folks, we get to be a part of that. We're in the 11th hour of history. And we get to be a part of bringing everything to a close and seeing Jesus glorified all across the planet. And we can do that every day from our knees. Two things I believe that we need to overcome. Two things that may keep us off our knees besides the general busyness of life. Uncertainty in the authority we have in Christ. And ignorance of the global need all around us. If we're not sure of who I am in Christ, we sang it the very first song of the day. If we're not sure of who we are in Christ and the authority we have in Christ, we probably won't go to our knees with much conviction. And if we're not aware of what's going on in the world today, one billion Buddhists living in darkness, 86% that have never even met a follower of Jesus before, they're part of the one in 24. 24 people every minute go into eternity without ever hearing the name of Jesus one time. If we're not aware of the depth of our authority, and if we are ignorant of the need of the world, we probably won't get to our knees like we need to. But I'm convinced that without an increase of intercession, the nations won't be reached, the world won't change. But as we engage, you and I can finish the job on planet Earth. I hope you get a chance to go on a trip overseas sometime. But even if you never do, you can impact the world every day from your knees. So simply, when identity is realized, authority can be exercised. And when authority is exercised, the world will be evangelized. All because of Calvary. I want to share with you two quick wartime images to wrap this up that speak to the power of prayer, all right? One is, uh, anybody remember from World War II what was called the Battle of Britain? Hmm? The bulk of 1940, Operation Sea Lion was initiated by Hitler. Every night, tons of bombs dropped on London and their surrounding areas. Birmingham, the Detroit, the automotive hub of the nation. Bombs dropped in bombing raids by bombers accompanied by fighter escort every night for months, night after night, into the shelters, the air raid sirens going off in the middle of the night. Night after night, the Battle of Britain raged. The RAF, the Royal Air Force, vastly outnumbered 
but the nation was in their hands. If they did not win the battle in the air over Britain soon, the armies of Hitler would invade the UK. Here's how it unfolded. As soon as enemy planes were spotted crossing the channel, the word would go out to every RAF base, scramble, scramble. And every pilot knew what that meant. They ran to their planes, they fired them up, they got in the air, and they would go, scramble mean, meant get up into the clouds as high as you can, as fast as you can, because as you are above the enemy crossing the channel, you are in a place of, of opportunity, you're in a superior place, coming down on the enemy. Where are we seated in Christ? In the superior place, far above principalities and powers. And they would scramble to get into that position of advantage, fighting from above. Because the Royal Air Force won the battle in the heavenlies, Hitler never set foot on British soil. The battle for earth was won in the unseen place, in the sky. That's a picture of the power of intercession today. Here's the second image as we wrap this up that comes to mind. It's again out of World War II. Maybe you've seen that iconic poster from World War II of Rosie the Riveter. Anybody know of, come on, Rosie the Riveter, a young, a young lady, a scarf wrapped around her head, and she's doing one of these, all right? And that was a World War II poster speaking of the importance of the workforce at home in the war effort. All the young men were in... The European theater, or the Asian theater, isn't that right? All the young men were off to battle, and everybody left in America was left to fill the jobs in the factories and where automobiles and refrigerators were being made all throughout Cleveland and Detroit and other places. Suddenly, we were making tanks and airplanes, and everything was about the war effort. And people started to buy war bonds to help fund the effort. They were investing their money in, in low-yield returns, but it was so important to get money into the economy to win the war. And, and you know, these world wars were total wars, and they required their governments to mobilize their entire populations into the fight. So as the young men went to war, everybody else went into the factories and hit their knees. And the work stateside, behind the scenes and not on the front lines, was just as important to winning the war as the guys on the front lines. That's a picture of strategic intercession. That's the opportunity we have from our houses and our bedrooms and our sanctuaries every day to make a difference on the planet, to support those that are on the front lines, to pull down strongholds in Jesus' name, to see doors open, to see blind eyes open, to see bl uh, blinded minds grasp 
for the first time who Jesus is. What goes on in the heavenlies impacts earth. And what goes on behind the scenes stateside will change the world. Church, it's, it's rosy time. All of us taking our place behind the scenes, praying until the enemy is defeated and the work is done. Church, it's, it's time to scramble to get to our high ground, seated in heavenly places in Christ, walking in our identity and exercising our authority until the battle is won. All because of Calvary. Not only have we died and been raised in newness of life with him, but because of Calvary, we are seated in heavenly places in this time of the great in-between, and one day we will ascend, hallelujah, to be with him forever. But until that day... Until that day, we're in battle. It's time to get on the boat. This boat isn't a love boat where we pick out the deck chairs and find the best seats next to the pool. This boat's a battleship. And there's a call to arms. Seated in the heavenly places and from our knees, right from the 44026. We can change the world. We can change the world. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord. Lord Jesus, as we have been singing all day today, thank you so much for the work that you did at Calvary. (laughs) Thank you that because of Calvary, we walk in a new identity. And we can exercise a new authority. Lord, I pray for word of grace as a church as we come out of this pandemic. Lord, I pray that as a church that we would have kingdom influence beyond our size. I pray as a church, Lord, that we would have impact beyond our budget. I pray, Lord, that together as a church we would win many battles on our knees for you and that we would continue to win battles until the kingdoms of our world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ until the whole world knows that Jesus is alive may we continue to win battles for you from our knees until that trumpet sounds and we are ascended caught up together with you in the air and so forever be with the Lord In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.